0: Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen. We're going to start off with show notes today before we jump into a very exciting show for you guys. Um, First and foremost, we have our Evening with Medium events coming up on April 24th, August 28th, and December 4th. Tickets are on sale at the website by sarlo.com. Hurry before those
1: go. Oh yeah, because we're like two-thirds sold out for April. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity. Those are five shows Around 10 minutes each, they're on emotional and spiritual intelligence and they run the very first week of each month. The very first show is always free and it's available on the website by sarlo.com. The remaining four shows can be found at patreon.com backslash by Sarlo. And our web developers are coming up with um, a Patreon way, or I don't know what you call that, link, excuse me, a link to put on the website to help you get over there.
0: And last but not least, we have gift certificates and personal sessions available. You can purchase and experience those from anywhere in the world via Skype, FaceTime, telephone, Zoom, and now WhatsApp. Um, and we just wanted to pause before we get into today's show to also say, if you're listening by Patreon on Thursday morning, thank you so much for joining us on our Patreon platform. Um, we very much appreciate the financial and the emotional support through all of this. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening on Saturday mornings like everyone else, thank you for joining us on YouTube, downloading us on your favorite podcast platform, no matter where you are and
1: what day it is, we appreciate that you found us and that you're here. Mm-hmm. And is this appropriate to say, if you're watching us on YouTube, Kel, um be sure to subscribe. Yes.
0: Okay. <laughs> She's getting it. Okay. So we're going to launch into a really exciting show today. We have one of our favorite guests back, Dr. Karen Barnes. Karen, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes.
1: So w- we know that you absolutely love Karen. She's been here before. So you can go to com or wherever you're finding us and watch prior shows that Karen has done. So Karen's a veterinarian. And we've been talking a lot about the human-animal bond. Mm -hmm. And then you went and took a whole course on this. That's right, yeah. So we're going to talk about that bond. And we should also mention Carmen Theobald, because we did, and I know you know Carmen Mm -hmm. quite well, um, we did a show with Carmen on um, The Master Herder. And that's also available for you guys to listen to. And that has to do with our connection to each other. Um, and to pets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so Karen, do you want to just start by explaining to people first of all, um, how you would call or determine what a human animal bond is?
2: Well, I think any of us that have had pets, um, maybe I use myself as an example. Uh, you, you get a there is a relationship that develops between you and the animal and some animals more than others. Uh, and that that relationship, uh, is built on, uh, say it's a dog, you know, the activities you do do together, the routine you have together, but then also y- you develop a, <clears throat> a bond that is, uh, involves a mutual, a uh, nonverbal language that you share. And, you know, people will say, oh yeah, my, my dog knows when I'm coming home. And, oh, yeah. I, I love spending time with, just spending time with my pet. Um, and you, you develop this relationship that you feel that there's a connection mm. And uh, I think that's becoming uh, more and more uh, important in people's lives. And uh, I see it more and more in my practice as a driver uh, for people wanting to optimize their pet's health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, how it's interesting how practice has changed because people's relationship with their animals have changed. Their animals are now, part of, for the most part, part of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just... Um, Separate from the family, an animal that uh, you know maybe is is not thought of as as uh, part of the group, and and there are more and more people not having children too, and uh, pets are sort of filling that role for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's people that uh, live alone that have pets that that fill a void for them as well. And We'll get into some some interesting discussions about
0: that. Okay, so I'm I'm really excited because I, I'm curious to know how your course was laid out. Because I know when you sit down and you, you know, you start from beginning to end, they've got it laid out in chapters, right? Mm-hmm. So do they start with the evolutionary kind of story of that? Or did they yes. just Okay. Yeah. Can you can you kind of walk us through
2: sure, your process? Sure. Let's um I mean every every species is slightly different, but let's take the dog uh, as the and as an example. So as as humans uh, went from hunter- gatherers to or from gatherers to hunters and and would sit around the fire uh, eating eating their meals and having leftovers. those leftovers would get thrown out of their circle. and uh, wolves, the wolves that were more, tame or that were more comfortable with human contact would be the ones that would come close and benefit from that. And so over time, those animals got closer and closer. Mm -hmm. Those animals were more successful. They reproduced and had young that were more, uh, able to be social with people. And that's how the domestic dog, uh, Mm. originated. Uh, and then there was an advantage to, um, humans and dogs Living together, humans learned to hunt. You know, they learned strategies to hunt from dogs, mm. and dogs benefited uh, from from the food that was provided for them by the humans. and uh, And then, dogs evolved into having a working relationship with people, and were important pre technology for herding sheep, um, uh, ridding property of pests like rats, mm-hmm. groundhogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, for security, and they still are for security, um, and then and then the elite had uh, dogs as pets as well, and some of the really unique breeds that we see today were uh, evolved from a desire to have very specific traits, not only for working but also for uh, their pet function.
0: Hmm. I, I'm I'm still baffled when I read that in Egypt the to have a dog is a, is a form of status. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you
2: had to feed your family first. So if oh. you had, if you had, if you had enough to feed a pet and to look after a pet, then, then had you plenty. were, pre- yeah, that's right.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, horses too. I mean, horses were, uh, domesticated, uh, as a form of transportation and, um, and that right up until into the early 1900s, horses were used, uh, for, for transportation. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's, it it was really all about uh, the animals that were most comfortable being in connection with people that were able to thrive and then reproduce and produce offspring that had similar traits. Mm
1: -hmm. When I saw pictures in the book, Karen, that you had brought over Mm -hmm. about the human-animal bond, there, there were pictures in different parts of the world. And I remember seeing a picture of a guy carrying his sheep on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later, like another picture of him all snuggled up with him where he's sleeping on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, oh, that's, that's odd. And then I thought, well, no, maybe that's not odd. If he's a sheep farmer and his job is around the sheep and he's out far away um, in his land overnight, and he's looking for something to sleep on mm-hmm. <laughs> that's softer than the rock. Right. Yeah. The sheep looks pretty damn good. Yeah. So then he's snuggling the sheep. And then again, like as you're saying over time, well, maybe now you have your favorite sheep to snuggle with at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then eventually, maybe you have this relationship with this sheep. And it just, like as you're saying, it just keeps evolving. And then I saw where people were snuggling weird animals. And I'll say weird, meaning that it was unfamiliar to me. Right. Because my familiarity would be traditional cat, dog, horse, like that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But if I looked at the background of where they were, so if it was a cave or if it was a rainforest and they were snuggling a monkey then it was like, well, right then, this is their habitat for the human. Mm-hmm. So the animals in their habitat make sense that that's what they are uh, domesticating. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and different cultures have uh, different roles for different species. So, um, I mean, in, in North America and Europe, cattle are for consumption, generally, uh, meat or, or milk. But uh, in India... They're not, right. right? They're sacred and and they're I I'm, I don't know about enough about the culture, but they're revered, and uh, I'm not sure if they're kept as pets, but uh, they mm-hmm. have a different relationship with people than they would here.
1: And and you know what? When I looked at the pictures too, I, I had to like I came to realize not everybody lives in a house. That's right. Not everybody um is is stationary for an entire lifetime. Mm-hmm into apartments or into buildings, Mm -hmm, and that in different cultures, people are very nomadic still, Mm -hmm. and uh, their relationship with animals is a daily thing, as opposed to where we go to work and we sit in jobs where there are no pets.
2: Right. It's just part of the environment.
1: Yeah. And then I think about how its I see that it's changing here where we live in Ontario, Canada, where recently, I go into Walmart, and I've seen many dogs walking through Walmart now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, even a year ago, I, ne- I didn't see that.
2: Yeah, I think culturally, we're understanding that um, pets are important to people, and so we're making more accommodation for them.
0: Well, you've also talked, you touched briefly on it and said we would get into it, but noticing um, how we, we put them to work. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of, of service animals now. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, in different capacities. Mm-hmm. So there's there's you know true uh, true service animals that are trained for a specific function, and that might be assisting a blind person or um, working in a military situation. Mm. And then there's emotional support animals, which have a are not trained for a specific purpose, but are there uh, with their person for emotional support. And then there are um, Oh, what's the right term? Um, animals that are used uh, in hospital settings uh, as a way to reduce stress for people. Mm-hmm. Or in, I know our university here has a couple of dogs that uh, come in at exam time and will even go in the library uh, to help people reduce stress. Um, and then that brings up a good point. So, so there's been a lot of studies done on the effect of the human-animal bond physiologically on people, and they've shown that.
0: Sorry, I got. I'm remembering one of the examples you shared, and I'm excited. Oh, okay,
2: um, that uh, that people interacting with their with their animals reduces uh, stress, increases the happy neurotransmitters. So serotonin, dopamine and oxytocin and oxytocin's the love hormone. It's the hormone that, uh, mothers, uh, produce in response to their children, mm-hmm. uh, that, that love hormone. So that, that there's, there's a lot of science behind the fact that, that we get these positive benefits from this, this human animal bond. And then they've shown that the animals, the same thing happens. Yeah. Uh, Increase the the good neurochemicals and reduce cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Mm
0: -hmm. Can you, do you mind sharing the study that you, that we had talked about before um, about Wall Street? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So they decided, uh, someone did a study and they they wanted to see the effect of the bond on uh, uh, people in really high stress situations. So they picked stockbrokers and uh, stockbrokers with high blood pressure.
1: So how do they get life insurance?
0: <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> <Not that all. laughs> Everyone knows about our home insurance <laughs> issue now. So, so they, they had three groups. They
2: had uh, the, the folks with high blood pressure that were totally untreated, those that were on um, blood pressure medication alone, and those that were on uh, blood pressure medication and adopted a dog. And what obviously the the placebo group that got well the group that got nothing their their blood pressure wasn't controlled the folks on medication were controlled in normal day to day activity but <clears throat> would break through and have periods of high blood pressure during really stressful situations but the folks that were on medication and had a dog uh, didn't have any episodes of high blood pressure <clears throat> and that was uh, that's pretty interesting study. Mm-hmm. Um, and afterwards, after the study was finished, uh, all of the people that had adopted dogs kept the dogs, and and not they they sort of did an exit an exit interviews with these people, and and all of them said, "No, this is this is really important to me now, and I understand the value of it, and I'm going to carry on being a pet owner." Hmm.
0: Yeah, and and I know too yeah. when you had sort of briefed us about this before, they had said that the financial and time mm-hmm. um, constraints of having a pet were not outweighed by the benefits of love and, and the connection
2: yeah that's right that would, the benefits outweighed the, mm-hmm. the the cost for them which was not just financial but time
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I mean they've
2: shown they've done a lot of studies with uh, seniors for instance and um, you know, one of the issues with seniors is loneliness mm-hmm. and how how uh, having a pet and having that bond reduces loneliness also how it helps get people out and moving, mm-hmm. so whether that's uh, you know taking a dog for a walk, uh, even even having a cat in your home, right? You're getting up, you're you're socializing with the cat, you're getting its breakfast, you're mm-hmm. uh, you know moving around the house a little bit more than you might otherwise be if you didn't have it. Um, they did a study. They did a study with um, overweight seniors, and they m- they had a program where they matched them up with pets at the Humane Society. And uh, they had two groups: one that didn't have dogs and walked, and those that were matched up with dogs and walked. And those that matched up with dogs walked farther and walked more often.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, that
1: makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're
0: you're talking about purpose. purpose. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. neat because we talk about we say loneliness as this big blanket term, but really what ends up happening, as we know from loneliness, is depression. Right. And when you are forced or see a purpose in anticipating someone else's needs, coming outside of your own self, mm-hmm. expanding your own world, mm-hmm. that's when depression is able to to um, subside. Yeah, lift, yeah. Um, so Karen, you're talking about pets getting us outside. Does it have to be a domesticated pet that, that gives us that kind of connection and no. lifts the loneliness?
2: No, and here's the interesting thing is um, pets connect us uh, to the natural world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one thing that we're... Often missing, especially in urban environments, is our connection back to nature. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, but it doesn't have to be the pets, it doesn't have to be pets that do that. We can have that connection with animals in the wild. So, birds at your bird feeder, mm-hmm. uh, fish in your fish tank, which I guess are pets, uh, wildlife that come into your yard, mm-hmm. people going bird watching, um, all those things can connect you to animals in nature um, as well. I have a kind of an interesting recent story. I was, um, about six months ago, it was a May, a May early morning, about five thirty in the morning. And I had my bedroom window open. I was asleep. And I, I, uh, I heard this screaming outside. I sounded like an animal in distress and I so I got up on a bed and went out into my backyard and at back of my yard is some green space and a little drainage ditch. And I could hear the screaming as I got closer to it, I realized it was a little fawn that was stuck in the water in the drainage ditch mm-hmm. and uh, freezing cold night and uh, morning. And I, uh, anyway, I got him up out of the ditch and uh, mom was just off in the distance. I could see her there and I thought, well, should I leave him here? And I thought, no, he's too cold. I've got to warm him up. So I took him in and got him warmed up and, Got some sugar water into him to get get some nutrition in and then eventually got some goat's milk for him and got him fed. And, and then I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this guy?
0: There's a deer in your house. There's
2: a deer in my house and I've taken it away from his mom. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I have uh, some folks at a wildlife rescue, rescue that I often consult with. So I called them and they said, well, if you can get him back to the same environment within 24 hours where you picked him up. And uh, just leave him there and let him let him cry. Um, mm-hmm. Mom will probably come. And I thought, oh, okay, well now we've been feeding this guy all day myself and my staff, and we're all invested in him now. But mm-hmm. let's let's give this a go. So I I uh, bundled him up in his blankets, and he was he was pretty young. He still had uh, his umbilical cord on. That's how young he was. Oh wow! Now. So bundled him up in the, in his blanket and back in the truck and back home I went and I uh, walked around. Uh, the back of my house to put him in the yard, and there she was. She was standing there waiting, Aww. which was really cool. Oh yeah. So uh, of course I put him down. She she sort of backed off into the bush, and I went into the house and watched him through the patio doors. I wanted to sort of stay clear. And she came up and got him and cleaned him, and and uh, off they off they went into the bush. That was really rewarding. Um, but the really cool thing is now I have this relationship with this pair and they return to my backyard all the time to eat grass and mm-hmm. the crab apples that fall off the tree Say hi And say hi thank yeah. you other mother Yes And <laughs> and it, he especially will come quite close to the to the back patio door yeah. and get up on the deck and kind of look in and and I feel like I have a connection there And so does he Yeah and and I'm sure that's good for all my neurochemicals. <laughs> so, but it doesn't have to be something that profound. It it can it can be just observing wildlife. I mean, how relaxing and calming and feel good is it to sit and watch the birds at your bird feeder,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, right? I um, will never let Karen live this down. She we have a beautiful back deck on our. On our property, and uh, we have squirrels all year round that come yeah. and plant their little things in our planters um, for for the fall and winter. Yeah, and they they know where to go. Obviously, that's that's how they live. And she. Winterized the deck really early one year and these squirrels were like on clinging to our screens. <laughs> Looking in at the, kitchen. At the kitchen. And she's just kind of like, What the hell's happening? I said, like, you winterized, you dumped all of the planters, all their food is gone. They have no idea where they're going. I said, You you fucked up. Yep. <laughs> and so they were letting her know it. Oh, so yeah. what does she do? She runs out to Walmart that day and buys this massive bag of like seeds and nuts and all yeah. kinds of things. And we literally opened it and put it on the deck because <laughs> we felt go. so bad yeah. and so yeah. responsible because yeah, it like you do, you feel connected to, to the animals who, who enjoy your property with you, yes. who you delight in seeing run around and, and play up the trees. Yeah. Um, but there was just a, a sense of, we need to care for them. Yeah. C- can I interject a cute little story? Another cute one? Can we handle this? Okay, and if you want to cut (laughs) it, you can cut it.
1: (laughs) Um, Yesterday I was doing a a session for a young lady, and um, she she had a bunch of grandparents come through it for medium, and one of her grandfathers said um, that there were a couple of grandfathers on the other side and that they would show up in the backyard during her session as squirrels. So I said, so you take a peek and watch out the window and see if any of your grandfathers arrive. And she thought that was really cute. And one squirrel showed up, a black squirrel. And it ran through the yard and she was super excited and she figured out that this was one particular grandfather. And then the other grandfather says to me, well, I'm a squirrel too. And I said, well, you didn't show up. Like you said you would, but you didn't. He goes, well, fine then. So he was a little annoyed. (laughs) that he couldn't get a squirrel to show up for his granddaughter. <laughs> so she leaves. The very next client comes in the door and the two clients said hi to each other. So I thought, oh, they know each other. And the second client says, oh, I'll see you at the mall after my session with Karen. Do you want to have lunch? So they're coworkers. Or something like that. And she says, yeah, I'll meet you at the mall. We'll have lunch. We'll talk about this. So then she comes in for her session for an hour. And I said to her at the beginning, you may get a squirrel, but it will be your friend's grandfather. And she goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? And I said, well, her second grandfather wanted to come through, but he cannot be a black squirrel. He has to be a different color to identify himself differently. And he's trying to find a squirrel in the bush and get it into the backyard so that you can take a picture or be the witness that he did show up for his granddaughter today. Are you good with this? And she's like, hell yeah, I'm in for this. So I said, okay. So we did her session. Lo and behold, if a brown squirrel doesn't come into the backyard... Come towards the window and sit and stare at us. Really? He's just like he's watching us. I did a great job. I am here. <laughs> he I have arrived. Like, I did. I did. did. I did it. I did it. He did such a good job. And so I wrote down on the page brown squirrel <laughs> for your girlfriend. <laughs> and I said, "Don't forget when you go to have lunch." Don't say anything to her. Let her tell the story, perhaps, because it's written on her page. The other grandfather, grandfather number one, was, I think that was her paternal grandfather, um, was the black squirrel. And the brown squirrel ended up showing up. I said, but don't, don't lead with that. You can... Like, let her tell her story. And, and then, then say, was this him? Yes. <laughs> and then show the page where he showed up so she can get the message. So anyway, my my point here, along with your human bond and animal, mm-hmm. spirit. Yes. And that the spirit world uses all of nature.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and in particular, well, trees, water, everything, rocks, just absolutely everything, because of its beautiful energy to um, to be part of our lives, mm-hmm. just as we are a part and affect our planet. Mm-hmm. yes, and and it's
2: interesting uh, we communicate with nature and animals, whether they're domestic or wild animals, in a nonverbal way. We don't have a lot of opportunities to do that in our lives, right? Language is such a it's such a predominant way that we communicate. Um, and, and when do we get to, when do we get to communicate without language? I mean, we do that with our families, with touch, et cetera, but with animals, um, it's more predominant. And so we can develop our, our intuitive side, uh, by having relationships, developing a bond with animals mm-hmm. or with nature,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm, which is a valuable skill to learn.
0: Mm-hmm. If you're doing it healthily. Yes. I think there are some couples who will be listening to this going, I'm nonverbal my entire marriage. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> Didn't that's see that's this right. coming in this yeah. conversation. Yeah, one
2: does not necessarily lead to the other, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I, I know that when we did training with Parker and we were we were with Aaron Young and, and Eric Russell at the time... Um, there were three stages. So you did kindergarten for the puppies, mm-hmm. then you did commands, mm-hmm. and then the third level was completely nonverbal. Mm-hmm. You were not allowed to talk to your animal the entire time we were in class, and you were even challenged for homework to spend an entire day not talking to them mm-hmm. so that that bond strengthened and they learned to watch you for nonverbal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I just thought that was incredibly fascinating. Yeah.
2: Well, then they're so tuned in, right? They um, Animals are... are their senses are much more cute than ours, and their survival, historically, is based on their ability to interpret their environment, mm. right? So uh, they clue into you.
0: Us too. Oh, I <laughs> was just <laughs> going to say. and <laughs> <Sorry.
1: laughs> <laughs> and I was gonna add that I wish more humans could hear that mm-hmm. and actually really listen to that message you just gave. Mm-hmm. Lots of humans do not cue into their environment.
2: Yes, that's true. And they also don't cue into other people's body language. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah.
1: Or or flat out just even what somebody else's needs are. Yeah. And that's or right. to anticipate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that we certainly get from the animal human bond is anticipation. Yes. Yeah. We have to be able to see if our animal's behavior is changing, what their cues are. I remember going into your office one day and waiting for you um, with Parker and... Reading some of the things that you had up on your wall that said, these are the possible signs of, you know, your pet is not feeling well. And remembered remember reading them all and thinking, oh, yeah, okay, well, none of this is going to be verbalized. So I do have to pay attention mm-hmm. to all of this. Mm-hmm. If Parker is showing listlessness or, mm-hmm. and you had all of these signs. So it is super important that they teach us this. Mm -hmm. And if we truly get it with our pets and we take that and apply it Mm -hmm. to human behavior, Mm -hmm. we can become more in tune to the people that we say we love or that we work with. Mm -hmm. What a great tool, right? Um, Learning, learning
2: to communicate non-verbally, just you do it naturally with your animals and how you compassionately do that. um, That teaches you how to be compassionate Mm-hmm. And then how does that reflect on your human relationships or mm-hmm. culturally or as a society? I I find people, i know you guys probably do this too, people who are compassionate about animals tend to be more compassionate about people.
0: Mm-hmm. I've read studies where they put um, uh, dogs in particular in jails. Yes. And they mm-hmm. were partnered up with inmates right. and it brought the compassion level way up, the crime level way down. There was yep. a sense of purpose, responsibility, yep. and it grew compassion.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it grows compassion then successfully between the inmates and if violence in those places actually goes down. Literally just said that. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I was Let's practice listening. compassion. <laughs> I was listening. What the hell? That's <laughs>
2: okay. <Yeah>. Holy <laughs> Christ. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so we can, you know, it's a, it's a tool to to learn to be more compassionate in general mm-hmm. and more listening, uh, listen better. And uh, then how do you take that into your relationships with the human animal?
0: And you're a better observer. Yes. I think that's yes. one of the things that we haven't vocalized, but we're, we yeah. are saying.
2: Yeah. And I, I really appreciate as a veterinary professional when someone comes in to me and says, you know, I, I've i just noticed some odd behavior in my pet or this is different. There may not be any overt um medical signs that uh, are critical, um, but that the owner notices some changes. And that can be the tip of the iceberg, right, in terms of um, a health crisis. So I appreciate that. I had a, a client recently who's actually a friend who who's, who called me and said, my dog's doing this really weird posturing. I've watched it for a couple of days. She seems okay. She's eating and drinking and going to the washroom and all that stuff, but she's just doing this weird thing. And she's just looking at me like you know, hello, human, there's there's something going on here. And mm. she brought her and she ended up having a bladder infection, which was, it was a really mm. weird presentation for it. Um, but the owner knew that the dog wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her dog was communicating that to you. And I think we've all had, if we've got pets, we've had that moment where a pet comes and looks at us like,
0: yes. hello. Like, understand. Yeah, and it might be
2: like, it's supper time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or it might be, I have to go out. Um, uh, or it might be, there's something weird going on down in the basement. <laughs> right? There's yeah. a squirrel in the wall or something. But they're they're trying to impress upon you the need for you to pay attention. Mm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you were talking about nonverbal communication uh, oh, in your puppy classes. And uh, it made me think about my relationship with my horses and how in training, we do use a little, some verbal cues, but 95% of it as you move on is all a physical cue Mm -hmm. and, and, um, riding dressage at a really high level, my cues become more and more and more subtle. My horse has to get more and more and more tuned. We have to get tuned into each other and we, we end up, um, becoming one unit, a single organism acting as one. And that's, I mean, for me, that's the joy of doing it is that relationship. I think that's, for me, that's the most sort of profound human-animal bond because we become one thinking brain and one moving body together. Mm. Um, And it's all nonverbal.
1: So Karen, when you say that, and I, because I don't, I've never been on a horse. Mm -hmm. So my imagination tells me that when you're sitting on the horse, that your very thoughts are connecting to the horse's thoughts. Yeah. And that if you're thinking, I'm going to go left, or I want Mm -hmm. him to go left, that he's picking that up and he moves left. Not that you're squeezing your leg muscles or leaning to the left, but that over time you may lean at first, Mm -hmm. but then eventually, as soon as you have the thoughts, he goes left. Mm
2: -hmm. I'm not imposing, eventually you're not imposing yourself on them anymore. Mm -hmm. You are, and I'm sure as I think it, I'm moving my body in a way, in a very subtle way that They also, I'm also communicating them through my body, Mm -hmm. but they're so tuned in Mm -hmm. to that slight shift in weight or, um, I mean, I did have one horse that I, uh, some very complicated movements that involve timing. I could do just really by thinking about it.
0: Mm -hmm. I think about having played sports, um, in... my younger years. And there were, there were two of us that we just, we knew where the other person was going to be. I didn't even have to look up and I I knew based on where I was positioned on the field, I knew where she was going to be. I could kick it and trust she'd be there and vice versa. And I think, pardon me, I think that's um, very much what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. You
2: developed a nonverbal language between the two of you and it takes time and, Mm -hmm. and um, repetition and all that and intuition. But, um, it, it's a developed skill that you guys you mm-hmm. guys had, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at those great hockey players like Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. I mean, he always knew he knew exactly where someone was going to be and where mm-hmm. that puck was going to go,
0: yeah, it's it's a beautiful relationship, yeah, to be able to because you're not just in sync, you're counting on someone. Yes, you're counting on someone being able to to be at that level with you,
1: yeah, yeah. it's d- deeply gratifying, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. It's what I refer to as filling mm-hmm. myself up
2: yeah it's that magic moment, right? Mm-hmm. yeah, when you feel like everything's connected mm-hmm. yeah, yeah Very so you cool. have those you have those moments with your animals, and that's you have to be grateful for those and mm-hmm. and uh and try and have more of them because they become
1: addictive mm-hmm. right? I notice that when I'm in your clinic that um right from the moment that I make my phone call, I'm heard mm-hmm. oh, that's cool nice. right from the moment that I walk in with Parker, yeah, that um the staff listen to everything, and that when I go in and I say something to you, that every single person has been heard. So if the secretary walks in and says to you, Karen has mentioned this, mm-hmm. you you don't discount it. You listen to my input, her input, everyone's around. It's teamwork. Mm-hmm. And so what I see too then is that um, when you're all on that same page uh, and intention to connect to the animal mm-hmm. and that every human is connecting to each other, I think it's a beautiful purpose that the dog had that helped all of the humans, mm-hmm. I'll say in your clinic, um, and then me and then Parker, all connect. hmm
2: Well, it, we have a really great staff right now and Everybody are, they're all pet owners and everybody understands from their own perspective what the human-animal bond's about. Um, they're not just, they're doing a job. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that—that that is reflected in how they communicate with clients because they have an understanding of how important that bond is. And uh, so how... Urgent it is when someone calls. If someone actually makes a phone call and says, "I, you know, I really think my dog needs to be seen," the person on the other end of that line is like, "Oh, I know how you feel. Like I, I have that connection with my animal too, and mm-hmm. I'd want them looked at." Well, let's make that work for you. Or when they walk in the door, and you know, they, my receptionists are such animal people, and they greet the animals. Like they, yeah. they're they're mm-hmm. as happy to see yes. the animals as yeah. they are the people, right? That's they're as important. And um, so, it's, I mean, it's interesting because we're. We are all animal people, but uh, you'd think at lunchtime we'd be talking about other things because,
0: because <laughs> right? Because life,
2: yeah, yeah, other things in life. But no, we're talking about our pets
0: mm.
2: <laughs> and our connection with our pets, or things that happened, and or on. Fa- look at this on Facebook. Isn't mm-hmm. this cute? Or whatever. It, because we all under it, it's a priority for us. Uh, it's a passion, and um, and and so it's it's just part of
1: our lives. Mm-hmm what a wonderful environment then when you're saying that you have all of these people on that same page with intention and that every single one of you then is using your intuition mm-hmm. and that you're valuing every client that comes in, every owner of a mm-hmm. pad, you're saying, I'm going to value your intuition as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I, and I think of some doctor's offices, currently our doctor's office Treats us that way as well. Mm-hmm. But I hear so often from clients where certain people in, I'll say, in medical communities, because I don't want to say just doctor's offices, um, but certain people in healthcare care um, don't value their clients' or their patients' intuition. Mm-hmm. It's strictly assessment. Mm-hmm. It's They want to say it's strictly science. And I want to say, if you're strictly science, could you find me someone else? Mm-hmm. I'd exactly. like somebody that's going to see
2: me as a whole person. Exactly. Isn't this interesting? I was having this conversation with someone the other day who went into the doctor's office and they said I could only go with one concern.
1: Oh, that was my prior physician. Yeah,
2: and and so how do you treat a whole individual when you when you haven't got the whole story?
0: Especially, like I think about our physiotherapist. If I went in and said I have a foot problem, pardon me, I have a hip problem, and. All they did was look at my yes. hips. They would never discover that my feet were the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I had this right? experience recently. I had some hip issues and went in for an MRI. And the surgeon looked at the MRI and said, you have some arthritis in there? Okay, we can work on that. And uh, n- about six months later, I was in my doctor's office, my, my GP. And he said, oh, here's your MRI results. You've got a whole bunch of tendinitis problems in there too, eh? And I, I said, oh, I, d- I didn't know that. I- and so I told my physio and she said, oh, well, we can get that going. We can get that fixed. Mm-hmm. And so there was this whole missed piece of I wasn't being treated as a whole person. Mm-hmm. I was my problems were being compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. so how how were we ever going to get this solved? Um, and and so uh, I got a little off track there. but uh, but if you if you treat the the whole, the whole animal and the whole situation. So it's it's about getting a proper history from the owner, mm-hmm. right? That's so important. Mm-hmm. And then and then examining the animal. Get the and then getting the owner's contribution into how we're going to treat this this animal. Um, you know, are are you going to be able to give this dog a pill? No, I, I mean, there's no way I'm going to get a pill into this dog even mm. with. Well, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Okay, then we've got to come up with a different strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so taking all those things into consideration about what their relationship's about and what they what, what's practical for them to be able to do. Because oftentimes compliance with respect to a treatment is the most important mm-hmm. thing to get the end result that you want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to treat the whole situation, the whole animal, the whole relationship when you're considering uh, how you're going to go about something, at least in my field.
0: I just think that's respect. Like, really, it's not that complicated. No. no.
1: I found with Parker that um, going through the training with Eric and Aaron, mm-hmm. um, I remember saying to both of them, I wish I had had a dog before I'd had children. Mm-hmm. Because th- it taught me all about boundaries. Mm-hmm. It taught me all about um, process. Mm-hmm. And that um, to in order to train Parker to do the final goal, I had to break it down. Aaron and Eric would always say, well, Karen, if you can't get Parker to do this, do do something in half. Mm -hmm. How could you do it halfway? Mm -hmm. And if I couldn't do that, well, half it again. Mm -hmm. Half it again until you get success. Mm -hmm. And then I did. I would get one step of success, and it was like, oh, good for you. Now go to the next step. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, where were you when I was raising kids? Because I didn't, like it was such a valuable tool Mm -hmm. that Parker and the, Training of of me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say my mm-hmm. training because boy oh boy did I ever learn from Eric and Aaron that I wasn't. A, I w- it really wasn't about training Parker. Mm-hmm. It was all about my behavior mm-hmm. and what I was teaching. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted Parker to respect me, then I had to respect myself and set boundaries. Mm-hmm. And if I did, if I did that, Parker responded having mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, reasonable expectations. If your expectation was too high, then Back it off
2: till you can get an expectation. Yes, that's where and and so you have something to reward, mm-hmm. right? We always talk about happy accidents too, especially with riding. You know, you're working on something and you're trying to make that mental connection between I'm going to tell you this with my body to get this you to do this and that's apply to dogs too. I want you know I'm trying to teach you to go to the washroom outside. So you've got to. We have to learn our language. You've got the dog has to give the clue, and then you have to respond to it. And um, oh, it's gonna say something really important.
1: <laughs> Shoot! This is what happens when you have to do a cesarean section yeah, at four, four in, in the morning. morning. Yeah, my brain's a little Aww. fuzzy. Um,
2: oh yeah. So yeah, it's about, it's about respecting the other side of the relationship Mm -hmm. and saying, well, maybe my, first of all, my expectation is maybe too high. Mm -hmm. Um, be like asking your toddler to, uh, write out the alphabet. Well, that, that expectations maybe a bit too high, but maybe we can, I get, get you to identify what the letter A is on the fridge magnets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um.
1: And then you have success when they do it. Yes. And is that what you're? Yes, referring that's to? what I'm
2: getting to. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So so you're you're feeding success in baby steps as opposed to big steps, and sometimes those steps are really baby steps, and then rewarding the happy accident too, because it, it's about making that, especially with animals, making that mental connection. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't understand what you're asking,
0: mm-hmm. right? I, I think one of the really most interesting things I learned was that they wanted to please you. Yes. Because we, well, I didn't grow up with animals. And at, why do they? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, evolutionary. Yes. Yes. Survival. But I'm learning. Um, but yeah, I just remember thinking, like, you know, it's so easy to write them off and just think, like, oh, this is a stubborn dog. He doesn't care. He does his own thing. But no, it's not. It's it's that I'm, I have too much expectation, or I haven't really communicated myself well. Because mm-hmm. um, in the end, they really do want to please you. Mm-hmm. They do.
2: Yeah, most animals do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And children. Yes. So for relating this back to your life, like yeah. you've and I remember them saying like if you don't train yourself, he will train you.
2: Yeah. Fast. Uh, especially with at uh, from the animal side of it, if if you've got an animal that's misbehaving, you need to look in the mirror.
1: Oh. Aaron <laughs> and Eric would tell us that oh,
2: constantly. Yeah. I've
0: done enough horse sessions with humans <laughs> to know that that's huge. Yes, oh
2: huge. Yeah. yeah. Oh huge. yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, the bo- I think the human-animal bond is
2: be- culturally in our society becoming more and more important. And that's also reflecting on um, the way I practice and the, the expectations I see in clients. So now uh, there, there's a huge expectation for a high, higher level of care than perhaps there would have been 25 years ago mm-hmm. because, because animals have become more emotionally important to people, mm-hmm. um, which is in a way, great for me. It allows me to explore other areas of veterinary medicine that I might not have had the opportunity to, to focus on 25 years ago because mm-hmm. nobody would have been interested in pursuing that, um, whether that's something surgically or my rehab practice. Um, and just on that note, I um, with my my rehabilitation practice, which is all about manual physical therapy with animals, uh, I get to see those animals a lot. So twice a week for at least four weeks, sometimes longer. And I develop a huge bond with those dogs. Oh my goodness. And also because a lot of the therapeutic exercises we're doing have food reward with them and praise. Mm. And we, I guess so the dogs are so happy to come in and that makes me so happy, mm-hmm. right, as a veterinarian. So I'm not having animals coming in that are frightened. I'm having animals coming in that are really excited to see me. That's just a little aside.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Lovely.
2: Yeah. It's fun. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and you're talking about that because we've acknowledged this human-animal bond, That veterinary medicine, including chiropractic care, Mm -hmm. rehab, Mm -hmm. muscle, all of these different things, massage for pets. Mm -hmm. I have a girlfriend who was trained to do canine massage, Mm -hmm. and she would uh, volunteer to massage uh, OPP officers' dogs. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, Yeah, to help them because of the stress in their jobs Mm -hmm. and the training that they go through.
0: That makes me so happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I and I, I, I was just thinking about Carol. She like as you were talking about this bond and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there are even more careers that have opened up for people. Yeah. Yeah, um that's right. as we care more about our pets. Yeah. yeah. Very
0: good. I'm still waiting for companies to give us like time off when you adopt or, or buy a pet <laughs> the yeah. same way when you give birth.
1: I'm not giving you time off for another dog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was going to say, kidding. isn't it great? I'm self-employed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But grievance
0: days are being recognized as well. Yeah, like when you when you lose a pet, oh, companies I didn't are know that. I mean, it's certainly not as much not as if you lose but yeah. uh, a human, but
1: um, they're recognizing the grief that it causes. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I'm happy to hear that mm-hmm. because this whole factor of this of uh, being connected to our pets that. I'll say for people who live alone mm-hmm. or who are older, but that's not fair because I would say that anybody listening to this mm-hmm. who has a family and is young and loses their pet grieves the very same. Mm-hmm. When we grieve, it doesn't matter what our situation is or how much money we make. Or what animal it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be, it could
2: It could be your guinea pig. Mm. Yeah. Or your hamster. Mm. Yeah. Or you're going When
0: I think about children, sometimes a pet is the first thing that they lose that they've loved.
2: Yes. Yes. It's a really important remember. moment because, because how that gets handled uh, will reflect on how they handle grief in other mm-hmm. situations with lost grandparents and mm-hmm. Other, mm-hmm. other people that they lose down the road. Yeah, it's really and, and important. And I've,
0: I've heard people who have children and pets will still say that the bond that you have with an animal is like no other.
2: Well, sometimes there's so much less conflict involved in it, right? Mm.
1: Mm. It's, yeah. it's a little
2: bit simpler. Um, and it's oftentimes very, you know, unconditional.
1: Mm. Well, I wonder sometimes when our dog or our pet, cat, whatever, does something, makes a mess, rips out the toilet paper, whatever, if we get over it quicker. And we're more forgiving. Yeah. yeah. Then if our children were to take the toilet paper and string it all over. The house, yeah, because I know that. If, if we stay angry a little longer.
0: I can look at Parker if he, I mean, he's rarely ever destructive, but if he did something like that, I would probably very quickly be like, mm, I didn't exercise him today. Yeah. Or, oh, he's bored. This is on me. Yeah. But I don't know that I would ever look at a future niece or nephew and be like, well, they're bored. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's
2: true. Anyway. But I, I mean, I think, I, th- I think at the root of it is that our understanding of animals as sentient beings mm-hmm. has b- become more
0: obvious. And, and then...
2: We're passing laws
0: Yeah, now mm-hmm. that it's a federal crime to abuse animals. Mm-hmm.
2: And animal welfare has become more on the forefront. Um, my daughter just finished a master's in animal welfare and animal behavior and, and how that, how mainstream that's becoming in corporations that mm-hmm. deal with animals, um, in, in, um, legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're recognizing that and that it's a priority for people.
1: Well, we certainly not when you say sentient beings, because Kelly and I have more and more people who want to, book appointments to know what their horses or their Mm -hmm. dogs or their cats or whatever, whatever pet they have is thinking or feeling Mm -hmm. if their needs are being met. Mm -hmm. And we have more people uh, when we're asked to do medium um, that want to connect to pets who've crossed over Mm -hmm. and medical intuitive that they actually ask us what's going on with their pet Mm -hmm. so that they can go in and say something to their vet when they don't know where to begin. Mm
0: Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, it was a fun conversation.
0: Yeah. Yes. I thank you it. very yeah. much, Karen. Yeah. Okay. So if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at We'll also say if you have questions for Dr. Barnes, mm-hmm. absolutely send them to us and we'll forward them her way. Again, we just want to take time to thank everyone, Uh, no matter where you're listening from. If you're on Patreon, YouTube, on your favorite uh, podcast platform, uh, we very much appreciate your interest and that you are interacting with us as much as you can. Have a beautiful weekend.